welcome to Project Leap. Project Leap is a podcast for the doers, the innovators and the entrepreneurs in rural and regional and remote Australia. We're here to create a voice for these entrepreneurs and these innovators and these doers and actually make sure that the rest of the world actually understands about what some of these amazing people are doing to actually drive change within their economies in these rural and regional remote areas of Australia. Uh, we also uh, drive advocacy for these uh, rural regions and particularly building local economies and strong local economies within Australia. So that's what we're here to do. And, we, and today we have some amazing uh, insights that I think are going to be shared by our fabulous guest. Please just to remind you to like and share and engage with us on our social media by simply searching Project Leap on Facebook, you'll find us, and also on our website. All of our guests have a blog written about them and all about their journey and their experience, and you'll be able to read a lot more about them on our website, on the blog, as well as obviously hear the podcast on a range of platforms, SoundCloud, Podbean, Wooshka, and obviously also embedded into our website. So we just want to say a special thank you to our partners and our sponsors, A Thousand Invisible Threads, Amanda Powell Digital, iScribe Consulting, Kaizen Media and Purple Wax. Of course, without them, we wouldn't have actually brought this fantastic little idea to, uh, to fruition. I also want to make note that uh, you may hear in the background and we may have some little challenges with, our, with some of our sound. We are recording. Meredith is in Mackay and I'm currently in Agnes Waters in 1770 today and I'm very lucky to be looking at the ocean. But it just means that due to our fantastic, not so much sometimes, NBN around regional Australia, we do occasionally get glitches. We try to cut them out, but please be patient with us because it is generally because we are recording in regional areas. Yes, look, very excited about our second ever um, podcast episode for Project Leap. This is something that's you know close to your and my heart, um, Tara. It's, it's a, it was a bit of a labour of love getting it up off the ground and we've had some great followers. And after our first podcast, we've had fantastic engagement. So thank you very much to everyone who's chosen to get on board and, and jump on the bandwagon with us. Um, but look, I'm so excited today to introduce someone who has proven to be a tremendous advocate for rural, regional and remote Australia herself. Um, Terry Hawkins, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us today. My absolute pleasure. Like you, you two seem to have so much amazing energy. Why wouldn't you want to hang out with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, before we get into the interview, though, just to give our wonderful people who engage with us every every fortnight a bit of background, I'm just going to read through uh, or give people a little bit of an idea of your bio. And I love this opening sentence. It's um, ask Terry what her specialty is and she will tell you quite simply, people. So Terry knows how to give her audience a great time. We're hoping that Tara and I are hoping anyway that we can learn a little bit about that today as well. Um, but this is all while teaching strategies and really delivering strategies that can change the way people look and feel about their lives and their businesses forever. She's a masterful educator in attitudinal and mindset change cutting-edge sales techniques, leadership development, temperament theories and relationship connectors, as well as vitally um, communication strategies. And that's just naming a few. Um, based in LA, Sydney, Brisbane, um, all over the world, really, um, Terry is also one of the leading speakers in the world um, and certainly one of the leading female speakers in the world. It's a great honour to have her on the program today. Uh, and the reason is a very special event that's going to be taking place up in the Whitsun 
Sundays on the 24th of this month, being March. And that is um, a gathering of business people, community members. And if you cast your minds back 12 months, you will remember that Cyclone Debbie ripped through the Sundays and the Mackay region. And the damage that was left in the wake of that uh, natural weather event uh, was quite devastating. And even now, 12 months on, we're seeing that there are still people who are having a delayed, delayed reaction to that. And there is a lot of hurt still in that community. A lot of resilience as well and some fantastic stories coming out of there of rebuilding and seeing the opportunity out of adversity. But without me saying anything more about this, again, welcome, Terry, and thank you for coming to Queensland and, and regional Queensland to make your voice heard and, and um, give everyone's spirits a bit of a lift. So you must be pretty happy about that. Uh, look, you know, I am so thrilled because obviously I think, I, you know, I've mentioned to you prior to this that my oldest girlfriend, who I met when I was five, when we went to Beanley State School, uh, Kim is actually, she runs a farm uh, in Capella in central Queensland. And so I've been very close to, um, you know, rural Queensland in many ways, spoken there many times, uh, you know, grew up in Queensland. So there is a real love for the people. And I've actually spoken at the Whit Sundays probably 30 times over my <laughs> career. So I know it very well. And um, if we can just go back, take a step back to where it all began for you. You just mentioned Beanley State School. Um, you're originally an Ipswich girl, is that right? I am. I have a bit of a joke about that, but <laughs> I can't <laughs> We can't. <laughs> what was that? I was going to say we can't see the two heads, but I think that's that might go on. Oh, let me tell you, I've, I've, I, no, I, I love that story because uh, I was speaking actually in Ipswich uh, to a group of ready-mixed concrete truck drivers and I said I was born here and that's when one of them said, you know, gee, your scars healed nicely. And I said, well, at least I had two heads to choose from because surely you wouldn't have picked the one you've got. So, <laughs> and we all laughed, of course. Um, you know, Ipswich, born there, moved to Maribara, moved to, you know, uh, Cooper's Place. I mean, we moved all around. My father worked for the Department of Primary Industries. And, uh, and yeah, so, yeah, I came from very, very humble beginnings. So tell us a little bit about that, Terry. Um, from humble beginnings, now you have this incredible career that spans the globe and, um, you know, you've really managed to tap into a, a niche market but also something that you're particularly passionate about. But take us a little bit along your journey to start with. All right, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to do it quickly, but mm. I think... And I think people, like, when we see someone who we perceive as being a, a successful life, we think that they planned it and that none of my experiences were planned. Like I became an author through um, just pressure. You know, I had my audiences asking for the content and so I ended up writing an adults book and then I shared a story about my niece, you know, being overweight and how these two little characters that I created helped her, you know, have better eating habits. And then parents would beg for me to write kids' books and I'm like, I'm not an author, you know, and so and uh, and that's, so I ended up writing a children's series. Um, so I, I suppose my deepest love, let me rephrase that. When people say, how did you get where you are? It was because of my deep insecurity that I got where I am. And I think growing up with a very abusive childhood, uh, poverty, I had, uh, you know, a skin disorder where I had warts all over my body, my legs, my face, my arms, from the time I was like four to the time I was 18. Um, you know, I, I was pigeon-toed. 
Um, there was a lot of violence in my family. I was sexually abused. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually not the poster girl for, you know, what a, you know, and I'm, I was going to say tragic, but it wasn't tragic, but what a, an abusive childhood looks like. Um, one, the one thing that I actually had really a lot of strength around was making people laugh. And I felt a deep sense of worth um, when I could make people laugh, even as a little girl. I recently did an ACE test. It's called um, Adult Childhood... I can't remember what it is now. It's about childhood trauma. And there are 10 questions on there that are black and white. And you answer these 10 questions and it basically shows the level of trauma that you experienced as a child. Most people will have zero to one, one or two, two at the most, yeah? Uh, I think it's something like eight, 14% have three or four things. Um, I had nine out of the ten. And so I looked, when I did the test, I looked at it and I went, that's just so weird. Like I went and did it again because I thought I might have been over-exaggerating things. Uh, and, but no, it was, it was right. And so I thought, wow. The thing is the difference, and I think this is what a lot of us miss, is that there's also a resilience test that goes with it. And the resilience test is basically, in, in a nutshell, did you ever experience absolute love from someone? Undeniable love. Mm-hmm. And there were two times that I can distinctly remember. An elderly couple who, who took me in on weekends for about six months and absolutely loved me like there was no tomorrow. And then there was a man that would come visit our house and when I was a little girl, four or five, never touched me, just the most beautiful, loving, and I was his favourite. And one out of six children, of course. And so I remember that deep love. Um, If you have that, then you have the opportunity to really um, progress from anything. And I think that's what it is. So, So I sit here today not seeing myself as a successful person. I see myself as someone who has always been in search of um, relief from a lot of the painful memories. And today I can sit here as a 56-year-old woman and now say I feel like I have stepped into my own and I feel like I have over not overcome. Uh, what I did was I became an absolute, and this is what a lot of us do, we become conquerors. Mm. I only had this epiphany this, this year. I conquered my past. I conquered my abuse. I con- Something happened? Slam. Little Terry, she'd fall down, she'd get back up again. Next thing, slam, fall down, get back up again, slam. And I realised I never integrated it. I just conquered it. So I grew up believing that I had to face life. I had to bring it on, I can do this. And I became this tough little warrior. But by integrating it, I realised there's a softness there and there's a vulnerability there. And and just like what the people have gone through on the Whit Sundays, it's going to happen again. We know that. Mm. We know that. We know life happens. And I think the day you realise it's not going to get easier, it just is what it is. What we do do is we go, we've got the resources, we've got the tools, so get over dramatising about it. Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just, I mean, I spend a lot of time in regional areas, Terry, and work with, well, not just just entrepreneurs, but that victim mentality, particularly with the Mm. downfall in mining in regional areas in Australia. And there's, you know, the suicide rate. I was just having a conversation with somebody on the weekend around the male suicide rate in Gladstone at the moment. Um, it's probably one of the highest nationally anywhere. I, he, the, the guy was giving me the statistics. Um, 
Oh and gosh. it's generally because of those circumstances, you know, work's gone, you know, the, these men see themselves as kind of the main provider, their, their house value has gone from 700000 to 200000 in, you know, 12 months. They've mm. not just got one, they've got a number of houses. Um, you know, pretty bad stuff's happened, um, you know, um, and in that, in that case, that is pretty pretty bad stuff. But there's the other things, people, that, you know, that they are affected by those circumstances, but not to that extent. And that kind of victim mentality, I can't get out of the regions, I'm stuck here, I can't do anything else. Um, the world around me is what's put me in this situation. So I, I just think after the conversations I had this weekend, that's so refreshing, Terry, around, you know, it, you've just got to, you know, put one foot in front of the other and take that next step, particularly in these regional contexts where so much around them can really affect the circumstances. Do you know what's interesting, though, and I, I do find this everywhere in my life, like there is no certainty anywhere. Mm. So I actually well, that's the came to... actually, isn't it? What was that? that? The certainty is that there is no certainty. Yeah, exactly. And so people say to me, you know, like the mining and I lost this and I lost that, and I've lost everything three times. So I came to America, got sick, Ended up being bedridden for almost 12 months. Ended up having to sell my house for a loss. I, 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 went, I must have, you know, gone through $4 million over a three-year period. I ended up barely being able to pay the rent. Like, and, and, and you know what it is? It's not that we lose everything. It's none of that. You know what it is? It's ego. Mm. It's what is everyone else going to think of me? I should be so much further down the track. Yeah. I should have this. And it's fear that shocking anxiety of money. Am I going to be okay? But you know what? I walked past a homeless man. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. A man who was living homeless. You know, people are not their circumstance. And I was with a friend and I put $20 in his hand because it was freezing, you know. And as we walked past, he made a sarcastic comment. And I just nodded and I said later on, you know what? This is what I stand for. And I said, if I said, because they're angry. People get, like, they're scared. And so when you go to help them, it's like, Rrr! and they, they, they don't know, so they fear. So we have a condition on it. Mm. Well, you better take that $20 and buy something proper with it. Oh, that's not the right English, but who cares? I'm from Beanley. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, feed yourself, you know. That was a kid. Use the $20 no, that it gives yeah, you a better so quality of life for five minutes. Yeah. I came back and I was driving back and I, dro- and I saw him there again. And so I had a pink blanket in my car that from the bottom of my bed. Um, so I got the pink blanket out of the car, pink, baby pink. I double locked it over. I put it over him. This, this is just on a park bench in Los Angeles. I put it over. I tucked him in at the sides. <laughs> this is like a week, two weeks ago. I rubbed his arm and he mumbled something. And I said, good night, sweetheart. And the next day I said to my friend, I wonder when the last time he was ever tucked in and said, good night, sweetheart. And I said, you know what? We were a breath away ourselves. I saw someone at Starbucks three days ago before I left darting. His eyes were darting. He looked like a drug addict, darting on the ground. And mm. I felt sick. It's the first time I haven't had this feeling ever. It was a fir- it was a first. And I went, oh, my God, it hit my heart. And I went, oh, I know that look. Mm. I know what he's doing. So I did as a child. We were so poor. I was always darting on the ground, just hoping for that five cents, that ten cents. Maybe I'll find some money. Maybe that horrid desperation feeling. And so I called him over and same thing, you know, like hesitant. I gave him 20 bucks. It's like, you know, remember one of my sons said, mum, they're just probably going to buy alcohol. I said, well, today it's going to be a nice bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Like who are we to judge? You know, come on. So when I hear people saying, and this is what I I say to 
men who suicide. I tried to kill myself too when I was 19. I, got every, I can tick every box for you, truly. Um, if anyone is thinking of taking their life, I go, you turned the switch off too soon. You just turned it off too soon. Just said to leave Imagine, it on a little bit longer. Oh, my God. Imagine what could God. happen if you did. And the lies. We came here for each other. We didn't come for ourselves. We came here to help each other, and that's what keeps me going every single day. You know, so that comes back to, I was just reading your bio today and I just love the Your People in Progress project and I'd love to hear more about that. But I was reading, um, believing that we are human beings first, not mm. that, you know, what is not work beings? Is that right? Not is work that, beings. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, tell us a little bit more about that and how that actually kind of connects into, I guess, who you are and why you've made People in Progress or why you've developed that. You know, I, I read. A, uh, I started reading a book the other day called uh, "The One Thing," and it's about if just find one thing that you're really good at, mm. and then just do that one thing. You know, and then every if day. You apply, yeah, and if you apply that one thing to everything. So I actually had a few odd jobs. I got to work with children living with Down syndrome, trying to get into college. You know, because my father died when I was fifteen, and all this stuff. When you actually stop and look back on your life, you realise what a perfect plan it was. Um, especially when you stand here and look forward, you go, "What the hell's happening?" <laughs> um, but I. I remember, so I got a job at Just Jeans and they wanted to sack me because I was useless. I, was, I lived in fear nearly every day of my life, truly. Mm. And uh, anyway, I happened to get the job as the trainer and I sat in front of these six people and I was like a duck to water. Now, I was scared the whole time. I still am scared when I get on stage. But I just loved this feeling of learning and then sharing what I knew and then seeing people's faces just light up at having new knowledge and new choice and and so I got the chance to work for a Japanese training company for a little bit in my early 20s and that taught me the personal side and that's where I, lo- I was able to let go of a lot of my things that I hung on to and so then I took that and I added it to my work training and then the results were just phenomenal and my I'd have CEO my bosses saying to me I don't know what you're doing in there just keep doing it yeah, it's like we're getting the most amazing results from this. So when I started my company, People in Progress, when I was 27, I didn't know what I was doing. I started with $167. I had no money. I'd lost my job because I got the sack. Um, although the company went broke, actually. Um, but I just knew that these people working in a shop, and I want the Wit Sundays to get this. When you're working in a store and someone comes in, you get a sliding doors moment. It might be three minutes might be 20 minutes, and you get the chance to transform that person's life. You get the chance to reach in and massage a heart. You get the chance to hear the story on their back that they might need to share so they don't go home and kill themselves that night. You know, we don't realise the power of our influence. So uh, there's been plenty of times that I've gone into stores in the Whit Sundays, the most beautiful location on the planet, and I want to say, are you happy working here? Because I guarantee you they'll go, yes. And I want to go, well, tell your face. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> your look. You know, honestly, that's one of the one of the biggest epidemics other than obviously suicide. But one of the, I mean, as a lighter side, one of the biggest epidemics in regional areas is customer service. Um, you Close know, my mind. I can't even get a $5 more expensive than Melbourne coffee without actually some smile and hi, how are you today in a lot of these regions? And, you know, yeah. And, and yeah, I wonder, the question is, is that because the, is that because the competition is lower or is that because, I mean, you know, you've worked in this space for a long time. Why do you mm. think that is, that the, the regional... I know, right? 
is worse in hospitality? I can tell you in a heartbeat. Um, because we pay people wages and expect them to... We, we make them an employee, a number, and we expect them to come to work inspired. We expect them to wake up in the morning and get off their face on selling a $5 coffee to someone across. We usually hire younger people. You, when, you, when you take people and go, it's not about how much you earn an hour, it's actually about the influence you have in that hour. Hmm. And so if they have a stronger purpose for waking up in the morning, you know, it doesn't matter what your business is, every single business, it's all about human influence. You do that, you'll make more money than you get a poker stick at. But people don't, you know. It's, it's I'm just making coffee. I go, good, then put love in the coffee. <laughs> I'm just doing this job while I'm at university. Good, then love it until you leave university. Because the person standing in front of you, um, you know, it's like, okay, let's take the guys that, or the mining industry, the people, all the people who lost their jobs or all the people that lost their businesses through the cyclone. Okay, what are you good at? What are you really good at? Don't forget that part. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, that still exists. You've still got that. Yes, being exactly. Something. I, I, someone said to me something about being fearful, about losing, because we're, we're a new, we're a startup now, because I've taken all of my people in progress programs, which are live training programs for the enterprise industry. Um, you know, so retail, mainly retail, but hospitality, so forth. And we've taken that, we've turned it into a cloud-based business, which is because we want to go global. And also, you know, there's only one Terry Hawkins and there's only so many trainers that I can train to go out and do what we do. And also, um, you know, isn't it, we want it to be scalable. So having said that, I've had to relearn everything. You know, I've had to start again. And oh, there's a point that I was making there. Sorry. I didn't want to keep going on my, like, my normal trainer. You know, like, at least we could edit this. Like, I just keep talking until the thought comes back. <laughs> No, we can edit this. Mm, okay, start that thought again. <laughs> oh, I know the why. So, yeah. so, so I think the big uh, focus for people in progress is actually reminding businesses and the human beings within those businesses of the difference that they can make. Now, that's not an attitude. It's a skill. So, yes, you've got to find people who want to, but I've had people come in with the biggest cat's bum faces into training. All of a sudden realise the impact that they can make be given the skills and the tools to then execute that impact and use their light comes on. I had one girl come up to me and she said it was a three-day care program. She goes, I had a choice. This was on the Wednesday morning. She goes, I had a choice on Monday morning. She goes, I was going to either kill myself or come to this program. She said, I never realised I had the power to influence so many people. She was 22. Mm. Yeah, I think this is a great message for a lot of these regional areas that are kind of really affected by things like with Sundays and Gladstone and, you know. And that there you go. I think you've just taken out that victim excuse. You've just taken yeah. it away. It's, so and that's what I hope. I re- and can I just say one other thing too? If you are a business, I'm going to do a bit of a plug for, for Saturday because we've only got like five days to go. This is all on my dime, by the way. So, I mean, I'm not paying. We've got Aussie Home Loans from Mackay paying for my airfares, which is fantastic. And I think someone sponsored the Tuscany Hotel or something, Tuscano, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, but we can put those things in. But, you know, people have been amazing. But what I'm saying is I'm giving up two days of my life. I'm not charging anything for my keynote, which is thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm giving everybody a book and a flip man who turns up. That costs me like $10 a person. Why am I doing it? 
because a woman randomly called Tracy Lord came across my Facebook page by accident, sent me a message saying, oh, my God, I can't believe I found you. I just resonate with all your messages. Are you doing any conferences in Australia? I said, well, here's my book. She goes, oh, my God, I love your book. There are people who need you. I said, well, here's another 20 books. So I sent her 20 books. But she said they went like hotcakes. She was so passionate about making a difference. I went, I'll come up and do a night for you. Why not? You know, why don't we just do it? So I'm, so, and I promise you whoever turns up on that night, they will walk away going, what the hell have I been waiting for? Like this could probably be the best thing that ever happened to me, what we've been through in the last. I look at my life and go, everything has been absolutely phenomenal for serving me in my life right now. Didn't know it at the time. Hated it at the time. No, you never do, do you? The life is perfect for the future. And Mm. so I go, it's, I think it's $59 a ticket. I think that, because I said, we don't want to make money on this. We do make money on it. We're going to give it to, you know, people to get counselling and all that sort of stuff. But I go, so it's 59 bucks a ticket. If you've got a business, I would get every single team member to that night. I think we're nearly sold out anyway. And just have them hear the content. And I guarantee you, you'll go back to your business with a completely different mindset because no one's going to do it for you. Okay, we had a cyclone. I, my heart feels for you. My heart bleeds for you. It really does. The stories, the trauma, but I'm going to tell them on Friday night, on Saturday, whenever it is, Saturday night, I'm going to tell them why they keep having the trauma. They're not having the trauma because of the cyclone. They're having the trauma because of them. Mm. You only have a trauma once. If you experience it many times after that, then you are responsible for that. Mm. When, when you were younger, you, if we can go back to that, what, the, what was the, the, the crystallising moment for you to ba- basically say, nah, something's got to give here, I need to be better than this, I need to do better than this? There wasn't. I was desperate for approval. Right. It was my, my addiction for approval that actually drove me to do the best I possibly could in everything I did. I was an overachiever. I, you know, work twice as long as everybody else. Um, There's no mystical, there's no magical story. And I think that's the best part here. You know, I see all these videos, uh, motivational videos on, you know, I had to have this defining moment. I didn't. I didn't have a defining moment. And And the years I wasted waiting for that approval, I still achieved the results. I still achieved great success. But I kept waiting for the approval. And I don't, I, I literally, it's just this year, I'm 56. Just this year, I've gone, you know what? Doesn't matter. I don't care if 10 people turn up on Saturday night. Say that five years ago, I would have been offended. Mm. I would have been, I would have taken it personally. But there's no time for that. So what shifted um, to make you feel that way now? I think that that ACE video, the ACE test, sorry, that I realised that I had to stop and thank that little girl for um, always stepping back up again. She just got really tough in the process, that's all. Um, she, got, she, became an, she became very, very um, independent. Mm. You know, it was I needed to look after myself, and I did. I became the breadwinner of my marriage. I raised my two sons. Um, you know, I'm all, I was always there as the person who looked after other people. Um, but you know what? All of us need to have that vulnerability. None of us do it on our own. None of us, ever, ever. Oh. I, I will actually say one thing just to, just to answer that. Sorry, it just came into my head. 
there was a turning point where it was, I didn't want people to feel as bad as I felt. So I thought if I could just make them feel a bit better, then I felt good. Mm. That was my medicine. I remember Tara wrote a column um, a little while ago. It's actually on our on our website as part of the blog, uh, and it was about the power of vulnerability. And it was something mm. that really resonated with me because it was a strategy that I not deliberately but more intrinsically used when I was um, you know leading teams and everything. And the power of that mm. is quite incredible because you show that you're human, um, and, and among other things, but. Where is that, um, well, for a start, is it used often enough? And are people still too galvanised? Are they still too scared to let their teams in? That's such a great question. I just, I mean, sorry, just it also not just vulnerability but transparency. I mean, I think yeah. there's a real loss of authenticity and trust between people now. I mean, your business is people. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know we, we, we've had a deconstruction of communities, even in rural areas, and authenticity and trust has been destroyed. And I think part of that is because of vulnerability and transparency. And I, I just like to add that to Meredith's question, I guess. Mm. That's, a, that's so cool. Because I, I think people want the outcome so same with you. I've been transparent and vulnerable my whole life. Like I share everything on stage. I, um, when I said about being independent, that was very much, I, I took responsibility too much for looking after myself. That's all. I've got to tell you, I think when, so vulnerability became a buzzword a few years ago, whatever it is. So people go, yeah, I want to be vulnerable. But the burning sensation you feel, I'm into the, the, uh, the biology of the body. What happens when we're in these states? So when you're sitting in a state of, of true authentic, that word's um, a bit funny for you know, the true transparency. That thing of I'm going to show you what where I really am right now. That requires the ability to suspend the beating, pounding chest that you have, the heat that's in your face. The your brain goes crazy because now all of a sudden you're putting yourself under threat, and so that's the opposite to what we've, you know, our whole reptilian brains taught us to do. So a lot of people want to, do, they want to act as if they're transparent, act as if they're being vulnerable. But it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a skill, transparency and vulnerability. It's actually just this place where you just go, I don't even know if I should be saying this, but this is what I'm feeling right now. And and that, you know, you can almost, you have to make, you just hold on to the tears or the anger or whatever it is. That's the real stuff to me. It's interesting. Someone used a term to me today or recently about what's the difference between a human being and a human doing. And I think probably what you just said is actually, I mean, you use mm. that a lot in people in progress, but it's you being a human being, not doing, be, showing transparency and vulnerability. Mm. And yeah, very good. Yeah. Being present. Being. And if you look at business owners, you know how you inspire people? You don't inspire them by saying, you know, here's our target and if we're going to hit this by the end, we would have made our profit back and then we can do this and then I'll buy you a boat. You get them all together and you go, we've had a really tough time and you can leave if you want and you can go, but I need all of you to stand beside me and help me take this because for whatever reason, you can do your story. That's when people get inspired. That's vulnerability. Vulnerability is we've got no money in the bank, guys, uh, but I believe in this business and I believe in you. Who's with me? 
vulnerability is I'm feeling so upset right now about what's just happened. I'm, I'm swallowing because I, uh, my throat is, you know, whatever. I need to go and take a breath so that I can come back because I don't want to say something I'm going to regret. That's vulnerability. Vulnerability is mm. maybe, maybe getting angry and spraying your anger somewhere and then going, that was so inappropriate. I'm so sorry. I should never have done that. That's the vulnerability. So with the with with regions like so, you know, we've seen the with Sundays with Cyclone Debbie. We saw it a few years ago with with Cairns and the the Cassowary Coast getting um, hammered by Cyclone Larry and then mm. respectively Cyclone Yazi. Now again, they've been hammered with flooding, and then there's the economic issues that you know Gladstone's had, Mackay's had, the Bowen Basin, etc. How how much stoicism is still out there and how do we chip away at that so that that transparency and that vulnerability shines through and it's a more authentic mm. sense of growth, personal growth back to the front or back to where they want to be? Oh, gee, that's good. Because it's that, it's that uh, double-edged sword, isn't it? It's like you've got to walk that tightrope of, because I love that. And, and you know what? I have total admiration for them. I mean, they get the other side too, which is to live, like I said, in one of the most beautiful environments on the planet. Mm. Um, I think someone said to me, I don't know if this is just, just coming in, so I'll just say it. Someone said to me once, do you miss your children when you travel? Because I've travelled my entire life. Mm. I said, I don't give myself the luxury to even think about it. I gave myself the luxury to think about it, I'd be curled up in a ball every night crying my eyes out. So I just choose to actually not even have the conversation. So that, that's not avoidance, you don't think? It's not just ignoring the pain? No, because it's true. Not feeling the fear? No, oh, oh I, it's, I could so easily. I think you've got to choose. There's only so much pain you can actually, this you is true. Yeah. So you've got to choose. You've got to pick your battles. So I... Don't, and don't get me wrong, and I'll talk about this on Saturday night, I talk about the pit and the pit of misery, um, and it's very different to grief and, and experiencing yeah, emotion. Yeah. But, mm. but I know going forward that I will be on a plane, and my kids are much older now, but I, I knew. So I knew the story. I knew the punchline. So why would I have the story again and again mm. and again? And so we have a cyclone, you're right, you got to rebuild. Well, who knows in all of this that someone doesn't come up with some incredible invention? Look at the innovation that has to come out of all of this stuff. Look at, isn't it true? It's like the only time we actually really, really innovate is when we've had some sort of loss or... Out of like, adversity, yeah. That's we've, adversity. Got a, we've got a problem that has to be solved. So, you know, yeah, we um, and, and that's already happening in terms of even things like the Great Barrier Reef and, you know, cyclone proofing and some of those things. Some of the innovations that have been coming out of that trauma are actually going to be quite significant moving forward. So, yeah. And I think it's just... Um, yeah, look, I just, I, I look at it and I just go, because you know, I've actually thought that too, I've got, oh my gosh, do I have to start again? Like literally having to redesign my whole company at my age and have to deal with, you know, my business partner is, is 28 years of age. So you can imagine, you know, what that brings with it, good and bad. Um, I have to now embrace this whole technology. I've now had to learn how to be a host on television, you know, on our, our, um, programs. I've now like all this new stuff. And I go, I, my pit girl goes, 
come on, where is that 97-year-old billionaire with the heart condition when you need him? You know, like, <laughs> come on, people. I think we've all asked that. <laughs> so if you're out there, just come on March 24th to the Lua restaurant. Oh, oh they're not going to be in the Witch Sundays, Terry. They're, they're going to be in America probably. No, they could be visiting in their, in their Uber yeah, they'll, they'll, be, <laughs> they'll be on their yachts in the Witch Sunday. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> but you know it. what the other I, I think whether you get over that you go ah oh, who cares like what, mm. someone said to me the other day what if it all falls apart I went I'll, I'll do it again I'll start and again. you know and that's at the end of the day you've got that IP here it's in your head and you know you just recreate it you can reproduce it just yep. start again you know that's yeah you're so right we all have that my girlfriend, and it's reinventing yourself. Like my, you've been, you're at this yoga retreat. So my girlfriend, she's been doing live training her whole life, and so so she's more mature now. She actually, uh, so I can say she's in her sixties or whatever. So I'm not going to mention her name to protect her. Um, <laughs> She'll know who she is. She's in she? her late later sixties. <laughs> she, um, so so she started yoga and she became addicted to it. Well, now she's gone to do her yoga teaching. She can do that for the rest of her life. She can, like, I met a woman who was 86 the other day. She looks like she's 60. She's punching out three classes a day. She's probably making a fortune, loving life, looking hot, you know? Hmm. And you can get other 86-year-olds who, are, you know, they died 20 years ago. <laughs> That's it. And it does come down to, you know, mindset. Well, among other things, of course, but, you know, you've, you've reinvented yourself three times essentially. Yeah. And now again, um, to, as a startup to go cloud-based and, and global, how, what's, what's the tip? Is there a tip or do you just get in, roll the sleeves up and get going? Yeah. I think you've got to get yourself a nice big bottle of champagne, mm-hmm. a bit of a cry, you know, rock in the corner for a little bit, get all your pit friends and have a bit of a pit party and, you know, remorse about, be remorseful and, and you know, about what you've let go of and what you've lost, and then shut up and get on with it. Yep. I think that's what it is. It's just like you, you just suck it up. I'm working so many hours these just for us to get this new version up online, and someone said, oh, you know, you need to have a life. And I go, I do have a life. I've got the, have I had the best life ever. Well, and you're doing what you love too. And I, someone, I had that conversation with someone the other day as well. You know, how does it feel like work when you're actually doing what you love? Talking to people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I don't like it, but... <laughs> what do you, what, I mean, and I, you know, it's one of these questions that you never know how to answer, but I'm really curious, what do you, after everything that you've done and all the ups and downs, what, what would you classify as one of your greatest achievements? Oh, see, I love that one because my standard line when I used, would normally do um, interviews, I would say, oh, my children. Your children. That doesn't every mother, I mean, honestly. So... Um, Aside from the kids, <laughs> I mean, not actually, because they've actually done it themselves. They've been they've been the most amazing boys. They really have. They've um, mm. they've really done a lot themselves. These two kids. My greatest achievement, I, I have to say, from a business point of view, would be my children's books. So mm. I and and I'm and it's not finished yet. So, so. Sorry, and that was the thing that you least expected and came out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. yeah. yep, and and you just were looking for it or it took advantage of that opportunity when it came up. So. And I think surrendered it to I wasn't uh, because I actually thought if it doesn't happen in my lifetime it's okay we've got this pit man and this flip man character and you know I'm in talks now with um a couple of uh, production companies in, this, in America about turning it into you know a whole franchise actually so it's pretty exciting 
Very exciting. Mm. And what what would have been your? I mean, you've you've seen a lot of challenges in your life, but if you can professionally, what would have been the biggest and the most satisfying to come through? I think it's actually right. transitioning to America, even though we've been there eight years. Um, so I think taking what I knew to be a business for twenty seven years. I think that's my. I've had this, like we've been in profit for twenty eight years. Like it's, this is our twenty ninth year. Yeah. So there's not a single year that we ever lost money. Uh, we made significant profit. Um, it's been an incredible business. So I, I see that as being one of my greatest achievements from a business point of view. My, the challenge was exactly that, turning off the tap the last 12 months and resisting the temptation to make easy money. So I can just go out and sell and the money's there. So I had to trust that I'm going to turn that tap off. We're going to focus on the cloud base, develop all of our online platform, develop all of our retail education, um, trust that like watching the money just burn through to the point now where we're practically at the point where we're going now of course we've got stuff aside but you know going you know well we paid that with the credit card and and we're now just launching that whole iteration and it's we're getting amazing results um so give me another 12 months and I'll be able to tell you okay that's that was the the greatest challenge that I came through and it worked Mm. Mm. So put that into a regional context now. I'm not just talking about the Whit Sundays or those areas in, in trouble. Um, but in terms of uh, the regional, rural and remote setting and the isolation that can come with that, um, you're in a, a different country. You are still transitioning after eight years into America. How have you coped with the isolation that would come with that? Oh, wow, that's a good question. I wasn't expecting that. Um, do you know what? I don't think there is isolation, and I think that's a story we've told for a lot of years. So I was actually standing in one of my friend's businesses. They've got a, a retail store. And they were both sitting behind the counter, and they were both talking about how quiet it was in February. And February is one of those quiet months in retail. And, you know, you just have to wait. And I stood there. Now, if you ask for my advice, I go, put a shield on. Because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, sugarcoat it. I looked around the four walls. I said, if you think in 2018 that your business is limited to these four walls, you shouldn't be in business. And it's a matter of time before that you'll be aborted up across the front of the shop. It doesn't matter what you're selling these days. Get smart. It's a global world. It's a, it's a global platform. Get on Instagram. Start getting, letting people know about what you sell. Start, you know, do Google, you know, AdWords. Do, not AdWords, do Google, you know, whatever it is. You know, you can do promotions through Google. Um, let's just say, give me, give me an example of a business in the Wit Sundays. Uh, a restaurant. There you go. Beautiful. Okay. So we have this restaurant. So what's the one thing that restaurant does that's really, really great? Soft shell crab lasagna. So, so they have this product, yes? Now, mm-hmm. I remember having crab lasagna in a restaurant in Brisbane and it became their signature dish. They then, I remember going to the markets and I saw it, they were selling it as a product in the markets. So all of a sudden we look at this restaurant and we go, right, where's your reach? So what are you doing to get, are you just waiting for businesses to, to people to come through the door? Um, and when they do come to that door, what sort of experience do they have? Because I went to a lot of restaurants on the Whit Sundays in November last year, and I can tell you right now, um, it's okay to be sad. Leave that at the front door. Bring happy 
to work. Bring excited to have customers at the front door. Bring, um, wow, we're going to make this an exceptional experience for you. Bring that to work and bring your sad, take your sad face and leave it and pick it up when you leave. Um, look at what they can, what products that they could do. What are some specialties? Maybe they do the best salt. They have different salts that they use. You can sell that. Um, this, there are endless ideas of how you can take any business and turn it into an international, global entity. Creativity does not come when you're sitting in the pit. I have a girlfriend of mine, she says, there's no upside to the downside. Oh, I love that. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it is. That's very cool. I think you can just decide where you want to be. So I would hang out with other really powerful entrepreneurs. Yeah. On that note, who is your, like, guru? Do you have one? Someone that you kind of take inspiration from or kind of look ahead and go, okay, yeah, that's somebody actually, that's something they're doing that I kind of want to emulate or practice or do? Or is it just a whole bunch of things, people? Or just you? Um, no, oh, gosh, I, I learn constantly. I'm always reading and uh, I think I just I try to make myself available to whatever shows up. Mm. Um, I really, really like... Um, Curious. Yeah, just being curious. And I think that it, it changes all the time. I think this, and also it, depends, it can be a professor of a university at one point who's talking about the, you know, uh, biology of something in the body that happens when this happens. Um, it can be, uh, you know, like I, I really actually like Gary V. A lot of people don't like him. I've mm-hmm. even had other speakers say to me, you shouldn't follow him, he's bad for your reputation. And I'm like, why don't you go and clean your own backyard and... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's my own personal um, thing here. I really like what he's done, Gary Vaynerchuk, because he calls it like it is. Um, I, I love Ellen. You know why I love Ellen? Because I scare people like she does too. Okay. Like, I'm a psychopath like that as well. Um, but I love her because you, you rarely don't laugh. And I think hang out with people who make you laugh. You know, you can't be around antagonistic, angry people all the time. You know, people who shut down your ideas and why would you want to do that? No, that's not going to work. And but yeah, there's um, I have I have friends. I've got a girlfriend that whenever I stay with her, she's always teaching me. Um, this is one that's the yoga. Yeah, she's always has a different look on it. I've got a friend here that I'm staying with, Paul Tonich and his wife. Um, he's a real estate guru over here. Look, you two, just even having this conversation, it's, they're mm. everywhere. They're everywhere. <laughs> I love it. It's, yeah. And whether there's bubbles involved or not, hey, Tara, that's pretty good. You know, they, you get, it always creates a greater conversation and more inspiration. I'm the same. I totally agree. <laughs> I love that commentary around your, your friend can always teach you something. And I think if I think about my social, the people I've surrounded myself with, it, you know, if you're listening and you're actually listening hard enough, you will hear the lesson or the message or that piece of education that you need to hear at that right point. point. And I think the problem is, is that people forget to listen mm. and be curious. Or, or, they, or they listen, they say, tell me, they want your feedback, but make sure it doesn't hurt. Mm. Yeah. Make or sure it doesn't it. offend me. Mm. So I go, the best people you know in your life, the, the best people you have 
are the ones who come along and give you some feedback. It smacks you right dead centre through your heart. Through your eyes. <laughs> yeah, you can be exactly. You know, you're bleeding and you're like, oh, my gosh. And then you move away for 24 to 48 hours. You don't tell a soul. You sit in that ugliness of it. Rock. Rock. <laughs> and then you emerge and you go, that. Can I tell a really quick story? Yes. Okay. I love this story. So my girlfriend gave it to me. It's a storybook. And I think it's the guy who wrote um, Conversations with God. I don't know who the – I didn't read that, but I just someone said to me that's the same author. Anyway, and I'm not religious, but this is a really cool story. Two little girls are in heaven. And one little girl goes up to God and says, God, I want to come to earth. And No, she goes, I, I want to feel what feelings are. You know, I want to feel what hurt feels like and sadness and pain. And, and God said, why would you want that? Like, this is love. That's all you need. Love's love. You know, that's the best feeling of all. She goes, no, I've had enough of love. I'd like to experience the other ones. He goes, well, I'm going to have to send you, like, you know, I'm going to have to send you back to earth, but you're going to have to have someone with you because you're going to need someone to create the circumstances for those opportunities to feel pain, suffering, sadness, whatever. This little girl, her best friend, she goes, she tugs on a little shirt. She goes, I'll go with you. I'll be that person. She goes, would you? She goes, yeah. So they're standing on the edge about to jump into earth. And the little girl looks at her and she goes, don't you forget me now, will you? She goes, what do you mean? She goes, when you're feeling really bad, when you're hating me for what I'm doing, don't you forget why I came? Wow. <laughs> what was that book again? Conversations with God. No, he writes a children's book he wrote. Same, I can't remember same. the name of it. That's, but I've got to tell you, funny, I funny. burst out crying. Something yeah, the message what the adults need to hear, isn't it? Mm. You've got to go, you know, that person that you hate is actually the one that came to save you. They came to help you. They came. They were the ones. And what do we do? We knife them in the heart. Mm. You know what? You don't want anyone. I would love for people to hear this and go, Go to the pub on Friday night and listen to the conversation that you now are a part of. Listen to the conversations with your your partner. Listen to, I said to this guy sitting beside me on the plane actually coming over and we were just talking about relationships. And I said, just resist the temptation to have the relationship to shit on each other. (laughs) You've been married for 14 years. You're good at that. Every couple's good at that at 14 year mark. How about you just swallow those words? Sorry about the dogs. How about you swap? How about you swallow those words and think about what's magical about each other? And even if you have to vomit on it almost, <laughs> force yourself to say it. Because eventually that'll become a new habit. Yeah. And you'll probably your new vernacular. Fall, yeah. Yes. You'll fall back mm. in love again. And there's the message really in, in any of this kind of trauma that's happened in regional areas, I think. Yeah. It's the, it, you're so right. It's the language. Anyway. Mm. Well, and the stories that we tell ourselves, I think. Oh, gosh, yeah. Mm. Gosh, yeah. So what happens that. What happens if they can't remember those stories? What happens for those who are so deep in that pit, Terry, and they are so hurt and downtrodden and their insurance hasn't come through? They're all but broke if not. Mm-hmm. They've lost, you know, their house maybe as well. Yep. And they don't know how to get out of that pit. They, they're, they're listening to this and going, well, that's all well and good, but my story is, and I can't remember for love nor money what the good stuff is in my life. How do they go back there? So then give yourself a holiday from the story. Like just stop. 
because you can't do two things at once. So you can't actually be in the story. It takes commitment and dedication to actually keep that story alive. You really have to be alone. You've got to focus. You've got to play sad songs. Uh, you've got to keep reminding yourself over and over. So if you just pause the button, just put the pause on, walk out the front door, go down to an old people's home or, you know, elderly People won't, but I'm not doing that. I, I, that's not what I do. Go to uh, a children's hospital ward for terminally ill children. Go and read them some stories. Go and sit with uh, someone living homeless who it wasn't their fault. And just go and hold their hand. You know, it, 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 you, I, I say you can't save anyone in their pit. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes people, and if you're listening to this and that's you, and, and it's okay because I always say people hate me. I get hate mail, actually, from interviews like this. Mm. Um, so I, I'm going to say no one's judging you. Stay in your pit. You can't be in your pit and complain about your life and not do anything. Mm. You know, you don't have a story. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. You can stay in your pit and go, you know what, I know I'm in my pit. I know I'm being melodramatic. I know I keep telling the same story, but I'm going to stay here because it's safer for me. Mm. Yeah, and well, it's my become life. that safe spot. It's become part of your vernacular. And it's okay. Mm. I go, and I get attention for it. I get yeah, and I'm not here. We're not here, to, we're not here for those. I'm not here for those people. I didn't come to waste my life convincing you that this is a good life. Mm. I came for the person who's halfway up the pit, halfway up the ladder, looking up and going, my arms are tired. Yeah. And yep. I'll go, well, here you go. I'll throw you a rope. Here's the rope, yeah. So that, that accounts for just about every single, no, not just about, for every single innovator or entrepreneur who has taken the leap. That's, and that's what this program's all about. Now, yep. everyone has at one stage or another who's on this journey has said, this lot in life, my lot in life is doing me no good. I have to get out. It is flawed. It's shit. I just need to get out. And that is the leap that they've taken. It is a leap of faith. And sometimes they do need that rope. So aside from listening to this, where else can they find it? How are in, internally, intrinsically, how do they find that rope to, to just hang on for a little while while their arms are tired and then go, breathe in, breathe out. Right. I can keep going. Mm. I'm going to suggest that this is actually a physical thing. Um, right. So anxiety is a real thing. Of mm-hmm. course it is. It's just we don't have anxiety. We experience anxiety. If you have it, it means you can't get rid of it. We, ha- we don't have a depression. We are experiencing a depressing moment um, because you don't, you're not depressed and anxious when you're sleeping because your unconscious mind doesn't know to do that to you. So if you are lying down and you start to feel anxious because it usually happens at about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning you, and then your brain starts to race and then mm-hmm. it starts to grab the thoughts really quickly. You'll, if you're conscious and you can have an, an out-of-body experience of it, you'll notice that you'll feel a heat or a wave of chemicals come up through your system. Just sit up. Because if you actually sit upright and allow the, the chemicals to come back down in the body, you'll actually and then start to breathe through your nose to release nitric oxide into the bloodstream and then out through the mouth, you'll start to come down. So that's a genuine feeling. And then I would suggest that you can reduce your life. Like I reduced my life. I reduced this startup needed me to be much more frugal. So mm-hmm. I stopped spending as much as I did. I stopped, you know what I mean? It's like you can reduce everything. I said something the other day, it wouldn't worry me if I lost everything because I, I, I'm so employable. Like who wouldn't want to employ me? Like truly. Mm. Now, I know what I'm good at. 
And so it's the same for everybody else. So that that, that rope can be um, find someone else and share a house together. You know, there's always an answer. But when your pride and ego keeps hanging on to where you were, you'll never get to see where you could be. There's, there's one question that we always ask toward the end of every interview, but and, and that's about a, it's a bit of a cliche, I guess, but it's a cliche for a reason, Terry. Yeah. And that's that if you could write a letter to yourself when you were starting out, what would you say in that? When I was starting out my business? When you were starting out, like when you were that little girl who kept getting up and you got up that. Oh, I know what I'd say to her. Yeah. Trust me, it's all going to be worth it in the end. Love it. I was going to make this big thing about you were this and you were that. And then I went, it's okay. It's all perfect. Pick up all the crumbs. That gold. Pick up all the crumbs. I love it. I love it. I mean, I've got three pages of takeaways here, Terry, but um, to me that's just the perfect way to end it. And I think it's a perfect way to sum up everything you've said. Um, you know, there's always some crumbs and they will lead to the next crumb and to the next crumb and to the next crumb. And if anyway, that actually even relates to how you said, how you got to where you got today, where you just kept mm. hustling and you kept looking for the crumbs, crumbs and picking up the next crumb. Yeah. Thank you for what you do, girls. Thank you for, because I think the world is only small when we can't have access to voices like yours. So. Oh, thank you. Well, no, thank you. Serious. Terry Hawkins, thank you again. Um, we can't thank you enough. Tara's absolutely spot on. It's the voices like yours that we all need to hear from time to time. And I know Tara and I, um, there were points in there that um, we had to swallow back quite a bit, actually, because they were they were pretty salient and very, very relevant for this time in our lives as well. Um, look, thank you again. Uh to our wonderful um, friends who, who join us every fortnight for our podcast. Thank you as well for engaging with us. Remember, you can also engage with us on our Facebook, uh, also via our website, which is project-leap.com.au. And if you just have a look for us on Facebook, then you will, um, you'll certainly find us. Again, I'd just like to give a really big uh, shout out to our uh, wonderful partners who make help make this happen every single fortnight for us. And that is Kaizen Media, um, Purple Wax, A Thousand Invisible Threads, Amanda Powell Digital, and iScribe Consulting. Thanks very much to the teams at each of those organisations. You make this happen. And uh, look, as I said um, before, it is wonderful to see that um, so many of you have engaged with us and shared our podcasts on social media. And you've been a really big part of our startup ourselves. And this is a dream come true for Tara and I. Look, we would never have thought that for our second episode, we would be interviewing someone as, as wonderful and inspirational as Terry Hawkins. So thank you terry again uh and look and as we as we say at the end of every show please don't be afraid take that leap see you next time